Well, hey, and welcome to episode four of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Krismer, and I'm so glad you're here. Well, on today's episode, Jason, Josh, Ken, and I sit down and we talk about Paul's love for the church that he had never visited, the benefit of spiritual gifts inside the church, how we can uh, be an encouragement to those around us, and what sort of legacy we want to have in our community. Just a reminder, if you haven't yet listened to Sunday's message, I suggest you go back and do so before continuing on in this episode. Thanks again for being here, and we hope you enjoy. So did you guys hear, so last month, uh, sometime mid-July, the story on the news made national headlines of the guy that pushed a peanut up Pikes Peak, a 14,000-foot peak in Colorado Springs, using only his nose. When you say national news, do you mean the onion? No, it like legitimately, like I saw it on Good Morning America, like 7 a.m. Why did he do this? So I think there was a, I was reading the story again this morning because I, you know, thought it was funny. And there, it just said something like his response to that question was, I like funny and weird things. And this seemed funny and weird. Like that was his response to the question. Well, it qualifies weird. I don't know about funny. Yeah. I, I, it's kind of funny now, like a month <laughs> later thinking about, oh, that actually happened. And it was on national news. How so, long did it take him? Yeah. Seven days. So, it, so here's the wild thing about the, the story. He's the fourth person to do it. Now that's funny. That's dumb. He's the fourth person to do it over the course of the last hundred years. He was the first person in this century. So he's on his hands and knees, literally nose in the dirt, pushing a peanut. So he has a mask. He uses this mask contraption that flips up and down. It wraps around his head. And it's like a, almost like think of a spoon connected to us. Like he's using a spoon that's connected to his face via this mask, pushing a peanut you know, uh, with a, a shell on and everything up the mountain. I was going to ask, is it a shelled peanut or not? Cause that's a little thing to push up a hill. If it's not in a shell, it is a shelled peanut. That's that, that's like cheating. Then. Did he eat it when he got to the top? <laughs> no, there's a picture of him, uh, with the, it was like a world record thing. Cause he was the fastest to ever do it. So he's got whatever the world record like placard <laughs> is. And then also he has the peanut in like an engagement ring box. In his hand, <laughs> flipped open. This is this is utterly ridiculous. It's fantastic. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can it be both at the same time? One hundred percent. Like, I mean, he has to be in decent, like, physical shape. He's oh, fifty three. Oh, if well. if you're, I just want to know what did you have to drink to come up with the idea that I'm going to do this? Who the is the first, first guy that says, "Hey, you know what would be great? Let's take this peanut and push it up as if it was, hands and knees." Like hiking up Pike's Peak is not hard easy. enough. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it on our hands and knees. And here's the other thing I'm like, there's got to be, got to be the moment where the peanut goes off to the side and rolls back down. <laughs> right? 
There's got to be. There's like no way that your head is down there the entire time and it doesn't at some point go sideways and roll back down the hill. So to answer your question, the first person to push a peanut up Pike's Peaks, his name was Bill Williams. It was about 100 years ago. Bill Williams. uh, We got a mountain named after him. We do. And and he was bet $500 that he couldn't do it. Guess how long it took him? 14 days. Two weeks. Yeah, I was going to say. 22 days. Bill nice. wasn't in great shape. It took him 22 <laughs> days to get that. <laughs> Is that really didn't. the Bill Williams? I have no oh, idea. Like, that would be cool. That would be kind of cool. Yeah. He probably didn't have a spoon tape to his nose. No, so he, oh, sure he, he did. probably he did probably, with his That's nose. probably why. So I wonder if, if there's an asterisk now next to this guy, the new guy's name. There should it, be. Yeah. You know, was yeah. he by himself or did he have like a team of people? No, the news was like, I mean, probably a few days in when they heard about it, they were like following him up, him up there. It was kind of like, so a couple of years ago, there was that big climb on El Cap, the Dawn wall. It was a whole like national news thing. O- Obama had these guys that climbed this route on El Cap into the White House. And like once they got to the top, there were like news agents all over the top of El Capitan, which is in Yosemite. It's a massive cliff, uh, which is just crazy because people do this sort of thing every day. This was, you know, obviously pretty extreme. It was kind of like that. When he got to the top, there was like uh, essentially news vans, not the actual vans themselves, but people, cameramen, the whole thing. I'm going to be honest, driving up it is like a task. Have you been there? Oh, I've been to Pikes Peak. We went like, I don't know, we went like 9,000 feet up like, and went to a little breakfast place. <laughs> I ate some pancakes and biscuits and gravy. It was tiring. Man, <laughs> I was exhausted, guys. Like, yeah. that's as far as up as I've gone. Right? I was going to take the train last time, but it was, it was a whole thing. I don't want to walk up 14,000 feet. No, you're crawling. Your nose is in the dirt. Yeah. Apparently, you peanut. didn't want to drive up to 14,000 feet. No, no, message. honestly, I didn't. Well, I didn't know, like, if you get up there, like, what happens? Like, is there, like, do I got to pay? You know, it's just a lot of unknowns. You can Google all this, I know, but I just <laughs> didn't, I didn't want to do all that. I'm not really, like, I don't need to be any higher altitude. That's not never my, like, oh. Not your thing. You know what I want to do? I want to climb 15,000 feet in the air and struggle to breathe. That's, well, should we talk about our last uh, staff getaway to Flagstaff and... Yeah, these two guys climbed a mountain in like three hours, I think. It was like five, was it? I think the whole thing was five. Yeah, up, up, and, and, up and down. So, yeah. yeah. So just to clarify for all of our listening audience, we went we're to talking to Kenny and Brendan, who decided one day, hey, you know it'd be fun. Let's go, let's go run to the top of the San Francisco peaks. That'll be great. I don't it know about the fun. running part. The walk, I mean, well, you were practically running. Is that like, the, I slowed him I down. I was practically running compared to you. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> what is the mountain called again? Mount Humphreys. Mount Humphreys. Like I knew it was Almost 12.7, I want to say, or is it 11.7? No, it's, yeah, it's 12, oh gosh, 12.632 or something something around there. Yeah. We do have a picture for proof. If any, Maybe we can put it in the show notes. And then just a couple of weeks later, it was on fire. I don't know if you guys remember that. There I was do. a big forest fire in the inner basin. Um and it probably looks a lot different now. So actually, I'm grateful that we were able to do it then. And we went, I've done that one other time and the wind, like I thought it would blow us off this time. I mean, there was no wind. It was amazing. It was fantastic. It yeah. was a really great time. So for those of you all who are hikers, Brendan and Kenny would always go with you, I'm sure, if they had time. Yes. Yeah. their thing. I like an adventure. I'm not, I'm actually not much of a hiker. I just like the idea of like, oh, that sounds kind of hard. I wonder if, I wonder if that's fun. So the thought of pushing a peanut up a mountain. Does that I'm, intrigue you? Out of the you? four of us in the room, I'd probably, I'd probably be the one to say, huh, I wonder what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> that's as far as it would go for me. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what that's like. 
I'm looking for the picture and I'm not. We'll put it, it in the show notes. We yeah, can, we could. Yeah, we, yeah, we can throw that. that in there. So yeah. we do have proof, we'll audience, that they. What did were climb we doing, Josh, when that happened? I'm pretty sure I was home on my couch with my children. <laughs> <laughs> I think you drove back down the mountain. Oh, I found it. Let's see. I did. Twelve six thirty three. Yeah, Humphreys Peak. That's a fun time. Well, hey, let's jump in here. Uh, so Ken has joined us here on the podcast as a result of having taught this this last sermon on Sunday, week three of our series, The Gospel for Everyone through the Book of Romans. And uh, great job, Ken. It was, it was a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got just a couple of uh, things that I know we didn't have time for. We had a pretty good size uh, uh, section of Romans chapter one, verses eight through 17 this past Sunday. And as a result of the importance of our explanation of the gospel, which was the majority of, of the sermon, the explanation of, hey, what is the gospel of Jesus? When we say that, because we're going to say it a lot throughout the course of this service, what is that, or this series, what does that mean so that we all have that baseline? And then what are the implications in our response to that? I think you just did a great job, you know, summing that up in over the course of 30 or 35 minutes. But we also have, you know, a bunch of verses on the front end that we kind of breezed through out of necessity. So I'm excited to to hit on uh, some of those. So, you know, I, when I first started prepping this, the thing that stood out, I just mentioned the sermon, is how much Paul expresses his affection, and which I find interesting considering he's never met them. But that uh, love, you can just decide to love someone and be excited to see them. And, you know, you love them because he's connected to them through Jesus but I think where there's some meat that we didn't get to is verses 11, 12, and even 13, right? I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. And then I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. Yeah, well, I, I remember, you know, we were sitting down a couple of weeks ago talking about this, and that verse 11 was the one that stood out to me when Paul says, hey, I'm eager to visit you because I want to impart spiritual gifts on you. And my question was like, what does that even mean? Like for Paul to say to a church, I'm going to bring you spiritual gifts. I'm going to impart spiritual gifts on you. What does that mean? Is he talking about the spiritual gifts he talks about in some of his other his other writings? Like, what what does that mean? Well, that Greek word there for gifts is the word charisma. So it is that what we would normally think of when you think about the charismatic gifts. That's where that word comes from. But it seems as if in this context, it's more of just a general. Um, and the reason I say that is if you actually look on here, if you actually look at the text, he explains himself. So he says that I may impart a spiritual gift on you to make you strong. That is, so here's his explanation of the gift that he wants to impart. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. So it seems as if there's just this expectation, and this is what I think is so amazing about this text. There's this expectation that it's going to be a mutual giving of gifts to one another. So it is this idea that I'm going to show up and what I have for you is going to encourage your faith, but he also goes in and says, what you have for me is going to encourage my faith. There's this mutual expectation. I think that's so important. This is um, this is one of the most important parts of us gathering together 
in person on a regular basis is there there is this expectation that we have gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about it, that we have gifts that were given to us by the Holy Spirit that were not meant for us. They were meant for each other. So Paul goes in and it's not as if he's going to dump something out, that he's like the master who has something that he has to give to this church. He says, no, that is that we may be mutually encouraged. I've got something for you, but you've got something for me. Um, And so I don't think to answer your question, Brendan, I don't think this is like one of those laying on of hands and all of a sudden everybody's going to speak in time. I don't think that's what he's talking about in this moment. Um, precisely because he does not get that. He doesn't have that power. So scripture says it is the Holy Spirit who imparts those gifts on his people. So uh, again, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, we'll talk about a little bit in Romans 12, but it is the Holy Spirit who determines what people have, what gifts, and how. So that's all the work of the Holy Spirit. But Paul does recognize, I've been given something that's going to bless you. You've been given something to bless me, and I can't wait to get there so that we can uh, mutually benefit one another. Yeah, I think it's great. One of our life group questions or one of our discussion questions this week kind of ties into this. And so this is probably really helpful for people because it is like the gift that you've been given like, how are you using that for others, right? And so maybe I think a question could be, people go, how do I know what my spiritual gift is, right? Like, I think, especially if you're new to faith, right? If you're a brand new believer, or maybe you haven't been doing it for a while, or like, maybe you just need help identifying your gifts. Like, how, what could we tell people so that they they could answer this question, or they could be encouraged or challenged to go, oh, I actually have this thing. How could I use it for the benefit, like you said, of other people? Because that's, again, I'm with you. I think that's Paul's heart behind this whole thing is you're going to do something for me just as much as I'm going to do something for you. So maybe how do we, Ken or Jason, whoever, how how do we help people identify some of those giftings? I think you got to, one thing you got to look at is what do I enjoy doing? I think that's part of it. If you have this gift, I think you, like we like to receive gifts and we like it. So a gift isn't something that we do begrudgingly. And you might, I think one of our tendencies too, is we besmirch our gifts Mm -hmm. because I think with a gift, whatever that gift might be, it comes easily. Mm -hmm. And so we just think it's no big deal where I, I don't think that's necessarily the case in the sense that, okay, if it comes easily, it doesn't mean it's unimportant that we dismiss them sometimes. Yeah. I think to identify your gifts, uh, people around you telling you what they see in you, uh, understanding who you are, I think is important too. What's there's a website, uh, free shape test. It's, I think it's .com, might be .net that asks you some questions too to help you identify some things about yourself. Yeah. Cool. What do you think? Uh, I agree. I think the again the communal aspect of church shows up in the spiritual gifts. Um, many of us desire to have the spiritual gift of singing and don't. Or, <laughs> or, or it could be of preaching, right? You want to have that platform and you think you have this gift and you've convinced yourself, but everybody around you is like, that's ah, not, no, it's not really there. It's not really. So I think there is this communal aspect of we see the gifts of the spirit at work in one another and we affirm the gifts of the spirit in one another. So I think 
again, we find this, it's all communal. It's not that I go find some kind of spiritual gift in isolation. It is among the body of Christ where these are given and where they're supposed to be used. They're supposed to be for one another. Um, again, I was just looking at it here. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 7. It says, now to each one. So everybody is included in this. Each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Again, you have gifts that weren't given for you. It was given for the common good of those in the church. So I think we just have to keep it in community. I think that's the best way to think about these gifts. How is it blessing other people? How does it get used in the context of the body of Christ? And, you know, I always try to teach it too, is like, if Jason doesn't use his gifts, then I miss out. If Brendan, if Ken, if you all don't use your gifts, there's actually a piece of God and the kingdom and understanding that I'm not going to see because I don't have it all, right? Like, and so when you use your gifts, it helps me understand a different way to see God or to see Jesus. Like if you're an encourager, right? Or maybe this person is not a natural encourager, right? There is a piece of that that definitely does bring that somebody who has the gift of hospitality, like those, obviously the gift of teaching, preaching and kind of like that. So like there's pieces of like the kingdom expands when everyone is using their gifts. And so when I don't use mine for other people, like people are going to miss out, right? Like that I have a responsibility almost in a way to use my gifting to, to really help people see this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's really good. The end of that text, let me give you one more verse. The, he After chapter 12, he lists out some of the gifts. And then he says in verse 11, all of these, meaning all of these gifts that I've just mentioned, are the work of one and the same Spirit. So it is the same Spirit doing different gifts in different people, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Mm. So that's where I come back to that in Paul. I don't think Paul had the discretion just to go around and give away the gifts of the Spirit. It is the Spirit who determines who has what gifts. He gives them away just as he determines. So um, that's why I think in Romans there in chapter 1, it is more of a generalized and I think that's why he pauses there in the middle of it. I want to give some spiritual gift. That is, that is, let me explain what I mean. That is that we can be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. So he has this expectation that we're going to go in and the Spirit's going to use my gifts to bless you and your gifts to bless me. Mm. I don't think he's going in like with a Santa Claus bag of presents that he's doling out to the church. I don't think that's the picture. Yeah, a couple of thoughts too on this. Um, one disclaimer, right? I think that it's important to note that uh, you not necessarily feeling you, like you've got a a, a, um, a spiritual gift of encouragement, right? That doesn't mean that you should be complacent when it comes to encouraging those around you. Yeah. I, yes. I, I Very good point. You, yeah. uh, you know, a couple of times in my life, I've been encouraged by people who don't often encourage, right? And that's a really powerful mm. thing. So I'd say, like, don't, don't be complacent if you don't have the gift of hospitality. Like, still invite people into your home. Still, yeah. still uh, you know, enjoy those interactions with, with people. It may not, it may, it may come a little more challenging. You may have to work a little harder at it. But there's a lot of power in that. And then the other kind of disclaimer I'd like to give is that spiritual gifts are, are not the fruit of the Spirit, right? Like, those things, all for all of us who are in Jesus and have the gift of the Holy Spirit— like we should see those in our lives, right? I can't say, uh, oh, you know, love is just not my spiritual gift. 
Like, no, <laughs> right. no, that's, that's the work of the spirit in my life. If I'm saying that, then that means there's some serious work to be done right. in that thing, right? So just kind of give that disclaimer. Like, we should all still be working to do the things uh, around us, the one another's encouraging one another. For me, I'm not a natural encourager, but I've, I've got to work really hard at that because there's still, still a lot of value in it to those around me. Yeah, claiming that it's not a spiritual gift is not an excuse for disobedience. Right. Right. We're called to love. We're called to serve. We're called to forgive. We're called to encourage. All of those things are things that we are commanded to do. Um, So those aren't giftings. That's a matter of obedience. Um, There are people who are uh, gifted to give financially. Like There are some who have the gift of generosity. That does not mean the rest of us aren't to Mm. be generous. So we have yeah, it is not an excuse to not be obedient to whatever yeah, whatever Jesus says. And I guess to follow the same thought that I think Paul was following, which was this gift that the church in Rome was a gift of encouragement to him. That's why he wanted to visit them. He he felt that he was going to be encouraged, that there was going to be this mutual encouragement. Uh, where, where are you guys encouraged? I guess that's my question is, what do you see within our local church community that's encouraging to you? Well, and that's the part of the sermon that didn't make it, right? Just because we didn't have the time to do it. Yeah. I see it uh, personally week after week uh, with the Prescott Valley campus. You know, Paul says here is mutually encouraged by each other's faith. And when I think of faith, I think it's I do because I believe, right? Because I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, I will live a certain way. And I see the dedication and the devotion of our volunteer team. We got people that uh, come early to set up They'll stay and serve, they'll go to church service, and then they'll stay and tear down. And it's a joy. I mean, we don't need people to do that. There are people who do that. Uh, you know, there's, and it just amazes me, their devotion to creating a place and gathering as a people in Prescott Valley so people who are far from Jesus can come and get connected to a community and ultimately get com- connected to Jesus. Uh, that's born fruit. There's been nine people uh, baptized in, from the Prescott Valley campus. We did a few of those baptisms here during the week. I think, it's, I think we've had five actually in Prescott Valley and four we did it here in Prescott. Uh, but just seeing that people's faith in action uh, has encouraged me. Wednesday mornings at our prayer time at 630 in the school parking lot, people showing up. That's an encouragement to me. And I'd echo that. The good thing about <clears throat> excuse me, the good thing about having you preach is it gives me an opportunity to go out and hang out in Prescott Valley. So I got to go out and be a greeter this weekend and just see all of that happen. I uh, got to stick around and help tear down afterward and watch uh, the guys who were doing that. And gals, not just guys, generically guys, people. <laughs> the neuter form. There were people who were doing that and it was great to see. And so, yeah, super encouraging. In fact, um, I'll probably mention it this week in the beginning of my sermon because I was just like, man, it's so cool to watch this happen and to know that there's 20, 30, 40 people, however many is on those teams that are making this happen for three, 400 people. And it's so cool. Um, it is so cool to see that. Yeah, I would say here, you know, it's been really cool, obviously not being here very long and getting here right as this entire large population of our church leaves to 250 go serve. people yeah to go serve in Prescott Valley to go man we have a lot of of now holes right and to see 
people step up and fill those roles to see new people. We have got so many new people who really are buying into what we're trying to say is like, hey, come in, jump in, start serving with us, right? Get connected as quick as you can. And there are people who, again, the same way that are here all day, three services, not because they're, they, they just love the church, right? We had to put all these Roman booklets together. Like all these things that you guys are holding in your hands, they didn't come like that. Like we had to piece (laughs) it all together. And there was a group of about 30 people who were excited just to come and do that. Like they just love serving the church from leading other people to helping people grow closer to, like there's just this, it's a really cool to see and be a part of like, hey, I want to, I want to help our church grow. I want to help do what I can do, right? Think of people who, again, I always think of my eight o'clock service folks, right? A little older, but they're out serving. You know, they're they're wanting to be a part of it. They're like, hey, I'm I'm not done, right? Like, I think yeah. that's a mindset that can happen, right? Like, I'm done. I've done my time. It's somebody else's time. But it's just so cool to see people like, nope, man, I'm a part of this church and I want to help move the body forward. So, yeah, cool. hundred percent. I'm I'm always like increasingly encouraged when I hear of things that I wasn't aware of, right? Things going on whether it's within our community, you know, people engaging to our community in a way that I didn't know was happening. You know, I've heard a couple of stories lately of people holding Bible studies with their coworkers and, and doing that sort of thing. And those are the things I hear. And I'm like, man, that's awesome. That's exactly what we need to be doing and exactly what we should be doing. But because I didn't know, it's just, I mean, that brightens up my day for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's neat. But to your point about new people serving. So, you know, I've been in PV for six months and yesterday I'm seeing there's people who I don't even know who are serving, people who I know weren't serving before are serving now. And that is an encouragement. And then seeing the room filled, you know, we take 250 people, leave this community, go start another one. And the room is full again. It's like, this is encouraging. See all these new faces. Which, excuse me, which brings us back to verse eight, which I think we skipped over, which again is one of my favorite verses in this first section. Where Paul says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. Like Paul is in Corinth when he's writing this. He's, I don't know, hundreds of miles away. And he hears of their faith. How has he heard about their faith? Because there's no text message. There's no social media. He's not getting this from them. He's getting it from somebody who heard something, who heard somebody, who heard something. And it's gotten passed along this man, you ought to hear what's going on in Rome. And so it makes me think about what are people in the Quad Cities saying about Quad City Christian Church? What somebody's saying something to somebody about something. And how do we, what, what is our reputation? So they've got a reputation. He says, look, your, your faith is being reported all over the world. What do people hear about our church living out our faith here where God's put us? So that's the thing that uh, it's in challenging to me. I want to make sure that we're doing something that actually is worth talking about in a helpful way. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. I love to, you know, we have a group of people who come on Tuesdays and cook meals for people and just serve folks. And now people from the community who need it come and show up and I was able to go hang out with them and like, they just faithfully serve, right? There's no recognition. Like they're not getting any gold stars or anything. They're just showing up and doing the thing because they go, this is what we should be doing because we understand the gospel, right? Like that's the the heart of it. Like they are going, man, I have been given so much because of Jesus. I have to then serve others, right? And specifically their heart is bent to the least of these, right? 
And so they're going, hey, I'm going to serve. And they just keep showing up. And there's like, they just keep doing their thing. And it's just a great reminder of that too, of like, I, you know, it's grown. And now there's 20 or 30, 40 people that they're serving almost every single week. We're not, none of us are doing that in this room, right? right? None of our staff, it's just them. And it's also now there are people who are coming to our place that are to our church, right? They're hopefully hearing that. They're like, oh, Quad City is a place I can come. I'm not going to, I can just sit down. I can have a meal. People are going to treat me like Jesus would treat me, right? Like to me, that is such an encouragement too of like, man, hopefully that's what we're known for as people hear about Quad City more and more of like, no, these are people who are really genuine in their faith and actually do what they believe. Yeah, I mean, it circles back to that idea of an obedience that comes from faith. Like, not only do we have to, like, we we want to do these things. Like, we, we're actually driven. It, it fills our soul. It, it's encouraging to us being able to meet people and, and serve and do these things because that comes from our faith in the gospel, which changes everything for us. Right. So let's let's move down a little bit uh, to verse 13, because I think this is also a really interesting thing that we didn't quite have time for in the sermon, but verse 13, you know, Paul says this, I, I talking to the church in Rome, I do not want you to be unaware brothers that I planned many times to come to you, but have pre- been prevented from doing so until now. Uh, I'm just curious, what does he mean by that? Like Paul being prevented uh, from going to the church in Rome and seeing them in person. Well, I don't know if we can know with certainty exactly what he's talking about. Um, we do know that Paul has had his plans changed several times. I think about when he was in uh, well, modern-day Turkey, what we'd call uh, Asia Minor, and he he says, I wanted to go to Bithynia, and so I'm trying to get up to go share the gospel in Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit stopped me. I tried to go over to Myosha, and the Spirit of Jesus stopped me, and that was when he got the what we call the the message from the man of Macedonia and saying, come on over to us. And Paul says, oh, I guess that's where we're supposed to go. So let's go. And they end up going to Philippi. And so we don't know. I don't know that we can say for certain why um, he hasn't made it to Rome yet. Maybe he's just busy with an itinerary of other churches and ministries and places in Ephesus and Colossae and in these other uh, churches, Thessalonica, that he's planted. Um we do know he eventually gets there. He eventually gets there uh, after he goes to Jerusalem, gets arrested, and appeals to Caesar and ends up in Rome for a couple of years. But um, up until this point, he says, I, I haven't made it yet. I want to get there, but I ain't made it yet. You know, I think when you ask that question, Brendan, I think of 2 Corinthians 11, which describes Paul's hardships. Uh, what's he say? Uh, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rod. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. And it just goes on. Yeah. Like it's He's like running for his life, spreading the gospel. I, I just I wonder, uh, is this, this is probably some of the stuff <laughs> that prevented him from getting to Rome. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Have you ever been shipwrecked, Ken? Uh, not literally, no. No, me no. either. I don't even know what that means, but that doesn't sound fun. <laughs> no. It does not sound enjoyable. A day sure. and a night on the open sea. On a cruise ship, yes, but not <laughs> I, actually in the water. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not what he was talking about. Probably not. Yeah. So then I guess the the question remains, right? You know, we we have this uh, these words from Paul, right? I am 
obligated mm. to share the gospel. I'm so eager to share the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So what do we do with that? Like after this sermon, what's what's next? And I really want to camp out on this idea of being eager, right? Mm. I think it's really, really uh, common for us and, and for people in faith, especially in 2022 America, to not feel that sense of, man, I'm so eager. And again, circling back to spiritual gifts, we can call it, ah, I just don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism. Mm. But what we know in the Great Commission in Matthew 28 is that it's our call. Like we are called to go make disciples and we should be eager to go do that. So why aren't we? Yeah, no, that's, I literally, man, I love this. This is one of the questions that we ask people this week is, so if we know that people have to hear the message of the gospel to repent, to be able to change, if we know that's the case, what's stopping us from doing it, right? Like we would all say, again, the obligation is we all know, or we all go, I know I'm supposed to tell people about Jesus, but like what is stopping people from doing that? Well, I would back up and say, I don't know that people feel obligated. I think that's the issue. I think we have told, I mean, we've heard it in the church. I don't know that we felt it. Paul didn't hear it from the church. He felt obligated because of how Jesus changed his life. That was where that obligation came from. He recognized this was the path I was going on. Jesus showed up and it changed everything for me. That's where the obligation comes from so that I'm willing as Jesus said, when he called Paul, ah, this guy, I'm going to show him how he must suffer for my name. I mean, he knew this is going to be hard, but he felt an obligation because he recognized how much it had changed him. And I just wonder how many of us actually feel obligated that there's this thing in us that recognizes, man, without the gospel of Jesus in my life, I wouldn't be where I am. I, my life would be a train wreck. I would be... Uh, no telling. I could be dead in jail, divorced, whatever. There's so much, my life would be so much different without the gospel. And that obligation then becomes, and because Jesus did that for me, I need to make sure that he's going to have the opportunity to do that for others. And so I, I think the struggle is we don't feel the obligation. I think for a lot of us, Jesus is a good add-on and it's something we've benefited from, but I don't know that we feel obligated. It's a, it's, it's a nice to have. It's not a must have. And I think that's, if we had that, man, this is a must have, and it's made such a difference for me. I've got to go do this for somebody else. I think then we would be a lot more eager. Well, and I think what creates that could be a couple of different things. One, if you come to faith really young, uh, and you never experienced the or you're limited in the negative experience of the consequences of sin. So you don't quite grasp, this is who I'd be without Jesus. Mm. And then secondly, maybe you come to faith later uh, and then you've done it for so long, you forget who you'd be without Jesus. Uh, and that's kind of robs us of that eagerness. And, and so it takes humility is ultimately, uh, I think what will help us be eager is like, oh yeah, I'm not great. He's not a great add-on. He's better be the cornerstone of my life or I'm going to shipwreck my life. Yeah, one of the other questions we kind of are trying to tease out in that right afterwards is this idea that the gospel is of like a future hope, but it's also like a present hope, right? I think that's what you're trying to say, Ken, of like, man, every day I should wake up with this reality of like, my life would be drastically different today if I didn't have Jesus to like, yes, he ultimately eternal life, all of that is great. 
Don't get me wrong. Like I'm all in for that. Like I love the fact of no more pain, no more heartache, one day being all with Jesus. But also too, like presently I have hope. Like the way I love my family and my kids, the way I'm a dad, the way I interact with people, right? Like that Jesus gives me hope today that my life actually can be different and can matter and all of that stuff. And when I, I guess when I focus on that, it, it helps me. But if my faith is only wrapped up in the get out of jail free card, right? Like I just don't want to go to hell. Mm. Then I don't think we would see it as an obligation, right? It's just fire insurance, right? As they always would say. But no, I like I can see clearly in my life the difference every single day. And also too, the times when I make mistakes, how that feeling of forgiveness and, you know, Jesus is still calling me his own, that I'm still loved by him, that I can still return home. Like that thought process helps me in my obligation, right? Like, but it has to be a daily thing. I don't, like you said, that so many of our people maybe have been doing this for a really long time and you've just forgotten how mess that you were. Or we've bought into the cultural narrative that, well, everybody's going to get to the good place someday. And, mm. and it's, so it's the, the sense of urgency just isn't there. We don't feel obligated because, well, God's loves everybody and everybody's going to make it and everybody dies and goes to a better place. So that lessens the, the urgency, lessens the obligation to actually share the good news, which is why Paul's going to jump into here at the end of chapter one, talking about what makes it so urgent. Why should we feel this obligation? And it begins in verse 16, because the wrath of God is being revealed. Mm-hmm. So, that's where we're going to go next is the, uh, hopefully to up the sense of urgency when we begin to, sp- to, to speak about the wrath of God that's coming and has already come. Yeah. And I think too, I mean, you know, I hear it all the time. And I'm sure you guys hear it too, is well, I don't know what to do. Right. I think it's just a, like, I, I, I do think there in our, at least in our context, there are people who do know that they need to share the gospel. Mm. But they're going, man, I don't know how, especially, so here is, so if you have grown up in church or you do follow Jesus, the world, they're like, oh man, it's, I don't, where do I even start? They've got so many things going on. How do I have a conversation with them, Jason? You know, like my neighbor, like, I know you tell me to go love my neighbor, but like, he's got, (laughs) he's a mess, right? Like, I don't know what to do with that. And so they like fear grips them. And then they're like, well, what if they ask me a really crazy question? Yeah, right. What if I can't answer that? <laughs> what question, if I can't answer especially? the question? Like, how do we how do we help those people who really genuinely do? Yeah. Well, and I think this is a, just a little bit of a spoiler to a conversation. At least Josh, you and I've been having for a while around. Hey, what you know? If we're a church that says one of the the most important things that we're going to do as a church is to go multiply disciples. For a church that believes in the Great Commission, we believe that that Jesus has called us to go make more and better disciples where we are, everywhere we are. How are we empowering and equipping people to do that? Like it's it's our role as a church to equip people with tools in which help them go do that, mm-hmm. right? So that's conversations we've been having. Right. And I know over the next you know few months or so, we'll be rolling out some some opportunities to plug into to some like just real like in the weeds applicable tools that that we're going to give people to do just that, right? But but yeah, so it's the tool, but it is the urgency. Uh-huh. It's the, I mean, that's one of the things we said, how do we create urgency yeah. for, 
for people, you know, for people. And it's, you know, I think, Ken, what you said, as I'm hearing what both of you guys are saying, I just keep coming back to uh, Paul David Tripp. He's got a couple of things, right? So living in this reality that I am always in desperate need of the gospel, right? Even if I've Mm. been a follower of Jesus for 40 years, I am still just as I was then in desperate need of the gospel of Jesus. And knowing that, how do I live in between the already, I'm Mm. surrendered, living a life surrendered to Jesus, and the not yet of he's not come back yet. So, So what do I do in the midst knowing that, man, I'm just in desperate need of his gospel, and how do I share that gospel with others? Mm. Well, I think when Josh, you're saying about, man, my neighbor, and but they're a mess. It's like, let's just start with a relationship. And Brendan, you said earlier, hospitality. Let's just, let's learn how to be friends with someone mm-hmm. without even an agenda first. Like, just let me love you. Let me just be your friend. And we have to look past certain things. Right. And be gracious with certain things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and as we build trust and uh, rapport with someone, let's, now we start asking questions. Like, what's you know, what's your story about, you know, do you have faith or Jesus or it just becomes part of what you do. Right. Let's just be friends first. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's enough for, uh, for this week, Jason, what do we have coming next week? Uh, super excited. This is where we make our transition. If you remember the first week, I gave us an outline of the book of Romans and the first one was, Hey there. And then the second is, bad news. And so we're going to jump into the bad news. But uh, again, we got to make sure that we connect the dots here. So, you know, Ken ended with, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Like everyone. This is a gospel for everyone. This is where we get the title for this series. It is gospel for everyone. Everyone. And the reason it's a gospel for everyone is because as we're going to see over the next few weeks, Everyone needs the gospel because of the wrath of God that is being poured out. So everybody needs it. The good news is it's available for everyone. So we're going to be talking about how to, the need. That's the, why do we need this gospel? That's where we're going. And it's the bad news. Yeah. Yeah. Bad news for a couple of weeks, but it's the bad news that makes the good news so good. Yep. Amen. Well, hey, thanks guys. We'll uh, see you again next time. Awesome. Take care. Well, hey, thanks again for joining us for episode four of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. For more information, join us at quadcity.church slash Romans. On that page, you can submit questions about Sunday's message that we can cover right here on the podcast. You can also find additional information and resources like the PDF download for the book that we'll be handing out the last week of every month. And you can also find life group questions and other ways to connect to the Gospel for Everyone sermon series. Once again, we're so glad you joined us for this episode. We hope it was an encouragement to you. We can't wait to see you again next time.